You're going to love this. Just love it. Yeah, you will. I am stuck in the middle with you on a Monday on the broadcast. Yes, you heard me right. This is your broadcast from Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. 91.7 FM along the Oregon Central Coast on KYAQ. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org on the Stitcher app on the TuneIn app. On iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation Network, and now Radio or Not and Radio Sputnik. Welcome to what is now your daily broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com and yep it's our first daily broadcast we are now going five days a week it's just like the regular weekly broadcast except more of it so uh welcome to it glad you could join us here this afternoon and thanks to all of our affiliates who have jumped in to uh to pick up the daily show from day one and of course they like you will all be happy to hear that today it's it's nothing but uh, 60 minutes of nothing but bruce jenner That's it. We're talking. (laughs) Don't laugh. That's what we're. No, uh, not really. Uh, We've got a big show for you, and I'll get to some of those details in a minute. But for those of you who are just uh, listening to the broadcast for the first time, a quick introduction of me. Uh, I am the proprietor and the creator of Bradblog.com. We are well-known. We have been well-known for about a decade or so uh, in covering things like voting machine concerns, election fraud, voter suppression, environmental issues, corruption, whistleblowers, uh, enough so that we were, in fact, the the target, Desi Doyen, you'll remember, as Desi Doyen, my producer and yep. co-host of uh, The Green News Report, which we will be uh, playing on this broadcast, not today, but a couple of times a week. That's a nationally syndicated report you may have heard. Uh, In any case, Daz, you will remember that um, we have caused enough trouble that we were the target of a $12 million plot by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce some years ago to to hack into our systems, to undermine our work. so we must be doing something right. Yeah, if the Chamber of Commerce doesn't those like guys, you. Yeah, yeah. So we must be doing something. I suspect we'll talk about that incident uh, at some point. And I can't remember, actually, if that was before or after we were the first to publish over at bradblog.com uh, insider audio from the Koch brothers' secret meeting a couple of years ago. Now they do it all the time. Now yeah, everybody's sneaking in. And, it's true. Yeah. They were not very happy with you about no, that. No, they weren't. I don't know why. Um, in any case, we are wickedly independent. We are both loved and hated 
by just about everyone, which is no easy feat. Well, mostly you hated me, loved. Yeah. Oh, they love you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good point. You're right. Uh, in any case, uh, glad you could join us here. That gives you some background. You'll learn more about us if you don't know who we are in the near future, no doubt. Uh, we're going to speak with uh, legendary 1970s-era Pentagon Papers whistleblower, speaking of whistleblowers, Dan Ellsberg, uh, in just a bit. He will be joining us to discuss the slap-on-the-wrist penalty <sighs> that disgraced general and former CIA director David Petraeus received after leaking tons of highly classified information to his lover-slash-biographer and how that contrasts from punishment given out to so many other actual whistleblowers who leaked information to the media for the public good, as opposed to, you know, self-grandizement uh, as the Obama administration's unprecedented war on whistleblowers continues unabated in his seventh year as commander-in-chief. We'll also have a report on the ground from the ground shortly in Baltimore where protests continued over the weekend and today over the death in police custody of 25-year-old African-American uh, Freddie Gray, who is, uh, his funeral is actually happening as we go to air here. We'll talk to a reporter on the ground. Uh, and let's see, what else we got? Oh, Desi will be joining us some more. But first, uh, oh yeah, we got to get to this, this uh, unspeakable tragedy over the weekend in Nepal and surrounding areas when a 7.8 earthquake struck near the capital city of Kathmandu. Search and rescue operations continue at this hour. For the latest, I want to get an update from our own Desi Doyen. Where are we now? Where are things reportedly at this moment, Desi? Well, at this moment, officials are saying that the death toll has surpassed 4,000 people, uh, six to 7,000 injured. They're still digging people out of the rubble. And, of course, there are still aftershocks that are going on, multiple aftershocks in the last 48 hours, one as big as 6.7 magnitude. That's, no. that's a huge earthquake in and of itself. And that's knocking down buildings and that's hampering rescue efforts as they're trying to dig people out. The aftershocks also triggered landslides on Mount Everest. Those landslides killed a confirmed 18 people so far, 41 injured on Everest, 25 still missing uh, after the avalanches buried parts of the access routes and the base camp and a couple of other, How, um, other camps You say 45 well. still missing? 41, 41 are injured, 25 are I still see. missing. They were traveling between base camps. Um, international rescue teams and aid teams are beginning to arrive in the region. The United Nations says there are 14 international medical teams on the way and up to 15 international search and rescue teams that are on the way, including a search and rescue team from the United States. Um, so far, three Americans are known to be among those killed, at least on Mount Everest. They don't have any word yet of folks in Kathmandu, the capital city. Um, they say that uh, Americans, about 200 Americans, are sheltering with the State Department, with uh, the embassy in Nepal. Um, the serious issue is now the rural areas and the mountain areas outside of Kathmandu. The epicenter of the quake was 60 miles west of Kathmandu, and it hit in the mountain areas, and no one can get to them. They're having trouble getting to them. Rescuers and communication lines have been cut off. So right now, that is... Uh, is one of the areas where they expect the death toll to be really high. And folks are being forced right now in Kathmandu to 
shelter outside. There are camps, uh, there are tent cities going up all over town um, because, of course, people can't be inside with all of these aftershocks. But it's also in driving rain because this is the beginning of the monsoon season. Mm. So um, right now, the and, and it's just even worse because so many World Heritage Sites, uh, four out of seven UNESCO World Heritage Sites that are in Kathmandu Valley are said to have been either severely damaged or destroyed. These are like these ancient, uh, ancient hundreds of years old uh, uh, towers and monuments and so forth that have just uh, fallen, crumbled. Uh, yeah, or things left. that were... And there were actually, were, were there not workers in, I, I don't know if they were from the UN, uh, but scientists who were in uh, Nepal last week uh, who were predicting that the signs were showing were getting close to yes. an earthquake and these are concerns. Yes, this is a recent, a recent uh, earthquake hazards conference that actually did take place in Kathmandu last week. And the uh, the experts that were there, they said, you know, they had new data that showed that Kathmandu was due for a huge earthquake. And geo- the geological history of Kathmandu showed that it was capable of a massive earthquake. Mm-hmm. And so they looked around, they said, this is, we need to do something. And they had begun the process of trying to repair buildings, retrofit buildings, and get it ready. But of course, the scale of what is needed to be done was so so huge that yeah. it just couldn't be done in time and of course no one expected it to happen this quickly thank you so um, international yeah. aid organizations are accepting donations you can check with the uh, UNICEF the United Nations Children's Fund the UN World Food Program International Red Cross Oxfam Doctors Without Borders they all say they need mostly money to help speed the aid to these areas thanks for that report we'll, we'll be keeping our eye on that obviously throughout the week because that's just a unspeakable uh, disaster out there. Thank you, uh, Desi Doyen. Uh, speaking of unspeakable here, <laughs> not, not to start out the show this way with nothing but bad news, uh, but uh, also over the weekend, days of protests over the death of Freddie Gray in police custody turned violent. Uh, questions remain how Gray, who was arrested on weapons charges on April 12, ended up dying in police custody with a severe spinal cord injury that resulted in his death seven days later. Gray's funeral is being held today after, according to AP, thousands of protesters took to the streets Saturday in the largest Freddie Gray rally yet. And after hours of peaceful demonstrations, pockets of protesters smashed out police car windows and storefronts. Two people were hurt in the mayhem and at least a dozen were arrested. Authorities have not explained how or when Gray's spine was injured. Police have said Gray should have received medical attention at the spot where he was arrested before he was put inside a police transport van, handcuffed and without a seatbelt, a violation of the department's policy. In her first public comments since Gray's death, uh, his twin sister, Frederica Gray, appealed for calm on Saturday as she appeared with the mayor at a news conference. That calm did not last, however. As we go to air, violence appears to be breaking out in Baltimore uh, in these protests following the funeral earlier today of Freddie Gray. Uh, here on the phone for us now is Cassandra Fairbanks of Sputnik News, uh, who was there uh, for the funeral earlier today for the protests over the weekend and is there now as uh, violence has broken out, and uh, so far seven police have been reported as injured. Cassandra Fairbanks, uh, welcome back to the broadcast. Hi. This escalated quickly. Yes, it did. When I talked to you earlier, things seemed quite calm as the family had uh, called for calm on the day of the funeral. What are you seeing out there right now on the ground in, in Baltimore, Cassandra? 
right now there are people riding about a block down from where I am. And directly across from me, there's a SWAT vehicle and riot police are combing the park where they pushed everybody into. Apparently, there was a police car lit on fire about a block away as well. And uh, some of the reports that I'm seeing coming in from CNN are claiming that it is, quote, outside agitators that are causing this. Are you able to tell who is actually the cause of the violence? Is it the protesters, local folks? Is it outside agitators? Or is it, once again, the police sort of uh, uh, coming in with overly aggressive tactics that seems to be setting off the crowd? I would 100 percent, without a doubt, say that the police are the agitators in this situation. They came in here with live, they were loading up guns with rifles with live rounds and stormed to this place. They were shooting pepper spray out of a vehicle. It was a bunch of high school kids who were protesting peacefully from what I heard. And then SWAT arrived and escalated the situation. So you're, you're, you're saying that just by being there, they escalated the situation, that things were peaceful. Did you see this with your own eyes? Or are you, are you going on uh, secondhand reports of how this powder keg got lit today? I, I was at the funeral, and this started happening while the funeral was still wrapping up. So I rushed here. I got here about 10 minutes after SWAT arrived. Right now, I'm looking at at least at least 40 or 50 police cars, SWAT vehicles. There's, I mean, it's really out of control. And I think that the way that the police came in, I mean, they're the ones who are dressed for a riot, right? Well, they're dressed for a riot, but they do have to stay safe if, you know, if they are being pelted with uh, bottles and bricks and so forth. Now, mind you, we have covered these riots uh, before and the police will claim that they've been, uh, you know, pelted with bottles and, and rocks and so forth. And we haven't been able to find evidence of that in some cases. So, you know, I have an open mind in as to what's case, going on. They definitely were. And I think they still are being pelted with um, rocks. But that, I noticed that at least from what I saw, yeah. that had started happening after they formed a police line and had pepper sprayed some teenagers. Mm. I don't know if that's 100% correct, yeah. but I, I mean, I did see people are definitely throwing a lot of rocks at the police. Okay. Uh, are you able to stay safe there? Is the uh, the protest, the violence, whatever's happening, is it relative, relatively limited to a small area? Or are we looking, I saw one quote saying we're, we're, we've got an absolute war zone or something like that. Is is that an accurate description? Um, where I am right now, I'm safe. I, I'm going to go get back closer to where things are happening so that I can see what's going on. But there are places where you can go and seemingly be safe. Yeah. Um, and it's blocked off. Like, the Target parking lot's pretty empty right now. Okay. Um. But there's, I, I mean, I can't even express how many police are here in riot and SWAT gear. It's mm. all right. a lot. And all the buses are stopped. The people who are trying to get home from yeah. the stores that closed down cannot get home. So they're trapped here as well. Well, uh, stay safe out there, Cassandra. Uh, are you going to be uh, on the ground throughout the week out there in Baltimore? Um, I'm not sure. I, I would like to be. So okay. we'll see. All right. Well, let's check in as the week moves forward. Obviously, this is a... Uh, a moving situation, uh, an explosive situation, and let's hope things uh, let's hope things calm down on all sides of this issue. Cassandra Fairbanks from Sputnik News, thank you very much for your uh, updated report here, and we'll keep in touch in the days ahead. Stay safe. Thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with legendary.
1970s whistleblower uh, Dan Ellsberg. A uh, lot going on today. Stay tuned. And Desi's going to, and we're going to try to lighten it up a little bit later uh, with these crazy people from the Heartland Institute who are heading to Rome to advise the Pope that there is no global warming. All of that. And oh, Loretta Lynch finally sworn in as U.S. Attorney General today. A big day. Stay with us. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> It's a military secret. Just keep your wits together. That's the safest way to keep it. These are critical times. Be careful of espionage. In such critical times, you've got to watch out for sabotage. Oh, yeah. You got you to watch out for it. Hey, welcome back. This is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It is the daily Bradcast at this point, so welcome back to it. Uh, At an unprecedented news conference earlier today at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., U.S. government whistleblowers spanning a range of eras in national security agencies, including seven former officials with the NSA, CIA, FBI, State Department, and Pentagon, spoke out against the Obama administration's war on whistleblowers. Among them was my next guest, the legendary Daniel Ellsberg. He's a former military analyst who risked decades in prison and brought the nation to a virtual standstill in 1971 when he released thousands of pages of top-secret documents to the New York Times and others concerning the U.S. government's decisions leading up to the Vietnam War, showing essentially that the Johnson administration lied us into that war. Sound familiar? Those documents became known as the Pentagon Papers, and their publication by the New York Times was challenged by the Nixon administration all the way up to the Supreme Court. Ellsberg was personally targeted by the Nixon administration, who, as part of the Watergate scandal, attempted to break in and steal medical and psychiatric documents on Ellsberg. They wouldn't have to break in today. they just get him off his cell phone. Ellsberg has been a strong supporter of modern-day NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden and convicted Army whistleblower Chelsea Manning, among others. He's also the subject of 2009's Emmy-nominated documentary, The Most Dangerous Man in America. In 2012, he became a co-founder of the Freedom of the Press Foundation. He tweets at Daniel Ellsberg, and his website is ellsberg.net. Dan Ellsberg, sir, welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. Thank you. Glad to be here, Brad. Thank you. Uh, Dan, I specifically wanted to talk uh, with you about what happened last week when U.S. Army General turned disgraced CIA Director David Petraeus was given largely a slap on the wrist, comparatively, at least to others who who have been found guilty of leaking classified information recently. Uh, I want to talk to you about that. But first, what was today's news conference about that you took part in at uh, at the National Press Club today? We wanted to focus journalists on the fact that they have an interest as journalists in upholding the First Amendment, and that really requires them to be more knowledgeable and more active than they really have been in opposing the use by the Obama administration of the Espionage Act against sources to investigative journalists, whistleblowers, people who reveal wrongdoing or deceptions, crime, or reckless policies of various kinds. 
people who embarrass uh, their agencies and their administration by revealing such things that have been wrongfully kept secret. And those are the very people now that President Obama has been assiduously prosecuting in a way that no other president has. As a matter of fact, for the reasons you mentioned, I was the first American ever prosecuted for in giving unauthorized information, classified information, to Americans uh, in 1971. And after me, there were two other cases brought before Obama. Obama, President Obama's administration, has brought 10 such cases under the Espionage Act, three times as many as all previous presidents. It's a little hard to know. There's no easy answer as to why he set that record, but the worst of it is he's almost certainly set a precedent for his successors, whether Republican or Democrat, and that means we'll have less whistleblowing, less truth-telling from officials than before, and we weren't getting as much as we needed before by any means. Mm -hmm. So we need more Edward Snowden's and Chelsea Manning's, I would say, and other whistleblowers, not fewer. And that means that journalists have to wake up and realize that they're under attack from this administration. Dan, I, wa I, I want to play a comment, actually, from uh, President Obama a couple of days ago when he was speaking at the uh, the director of National Intelligence Office uh, in a second. But before I play this, I, I just want to get some idea. How do you explain uh, Obama's increased war on whistleblowing uh, and, and the fact that he's prosecuted so many more well, people I than think, previous presidents? I think I just said, I don't know an easy explanation for it. I <laughs> ask it all the time. And people ask me, and I simply don't have a good answer. It is true that with the mass surveillance and the targeted surveillance of journalists that they do now, as in the case of James Risen, uh, they do have more data on metadata on who they call, how long they call, when they call, and when they get together from their cell phones uh, data and so forth. So they can present circumstantial evidence as to who is the source of a leak, yeah. which may even or may not be uh, true, and yet is a, uh, that is valid, uh, and yet is the basis for a prosecution. We just saw that in the case of former CIA analyst Jeffrey Sterling, who was convicted recently of leaking to James Risen, something he says, by the way, that he did not do, but which there was circumstantial evidence in the form of the fact that he had been in communication with James Risen. Now, he did was in communication because he was the first, he's an Afro-American, mm -hmm. uh, and the first CIA analyst to sue the agency for discrimination, and that's made them very mm -hmm. angry at him, needless to say. But that gave him a reason for talking to Risen, um, and it may have had nothing to do with Risen's actual stories on the CIA bungle that uh, Jeffrey Sterling had, in fact, informed the Senate about. So you have all this data now on metadata and actual, no doubt, contents in many cases. But the mystery is that George W. Bush had pretty much all that data, too. As a matter of fact, the offenses they charged Jeffrey Sterling with were under Bush. But oh. Bush didn't indict him. It was, uh, it was Obama who indicted him. Well, you, and so you, you whatever wait. the reasons for this are, which are somewhat mysterious... Uh, it sets a precedent that I'm afraid he's not going to be the last president to abuse his powers in this way. No, and, and but you do raise an interesting point that uh, perhaps some of this has to do with the fact that they have more information with which to prosecute people now uh, because they get so much more of it. They collect so much more of it. Let me... Uh, right. 
L let me play a clip here from uh, this is the president speaking over the weekend uh, at the director of National Intelligence Office, I think celebrating the 10th anniversary of this office. Here's what he had to say about uh, secrets that must remain classified. L let me get a, a, a thought from you on this clip. You know, part of what makes our job even more challenging is, is that uh, Despite the extraordinary work that's done here and the lives that are saved on an ongoing basis, uh, a lot of our work still requires that uh, we maintain some, um, some things as classified. So you, you chuckle, I, Dan Ellsberg. I, you know, I would, one, would, one would think he was talking about General Petraeus, who, of course, put out to his mistress and biographer, Paula Broadwell, some of the very most protected and sensitive information in the entire intelligence community, namely the identities of covert agents. Uh, I, I have a suspicion, though, he wasn't talking about Petraeus. Am I wrong? Uh, you, I, well, I think you, he was talking in general just about some information needs to remain classified, that the government needs to keep secrets. Yeah. And well, isn't there something very, true about very that? Plausible. Well, I, I don't argue with that. I would say that there are there's a lot of information that deserves to be secret. Uh, uh, the identities of our covert agents, for example, which Petraeus put out. Mm -hmm. uh, no, he shouldn't have done that. Uh, should he go to prison for it? Well, given how much they do leak and how common that actually is for self-serving purposes, as in Petraeus's case, he was trying to get a more favorable biography from his mistress, although one suspects he didn't have to go that far exactly. He just <laughs> didn't like to say no to her. In fact, when she asked for his notebooks, which had this kind of material, his first reaction, it's come out, is, no, that's code word, meaning higher than top secret. I can't give you those. But she asked again, and he found he couldn't say no. It's a question of relationship, I guess. So he shouldn't have done that. No. Should he go to prison for it? I don't think so. On the other hand, he did lie to the FBI about it, which is a felony, especially for a government official. Uh, he did say no, he hadn't kept any such data. That was untrue. Uh, no, he hadn't given it to her. That was untrue. Uh, and when they found it on him by searching his uh, house, they found he had these notebooks in an unlocked drawer, which is not a really, you know, a, a good precedent for a CIA director. Although, by the way, not unprecedented. That's pretty much what they found of uh, John Deutsch when he was CIA director, that he had on his home computer tied into the Internet the identities of covert agents. Oh, now, given man. that it's done this much and shouldn't be done, should they go to prison? Uh, I would say not. They shouldn't be uh, charged under the Espionage Act because no one but spies should be charged under the Espionage Act, which doesn't allow you to argue in court that you did this for a good reason, that you had reason to do it, that it, it benefited the country, didn't harm, and so forth. You aren't able to say any of those things, and that's unconstitutional and unfair. But uh, in the end, of course, in his case, they took away the Espionage Act charges, which, as I say, I don't complain about because nobody uh, other than spies should be tried under that, and he's not a spy. On the other hand, I wouldn't be unhappy to see him go to jail for lying to the FBI, not because he's the first or only person to do that, on the, quite on the contrary, because I would like to see one government official spend one day in jail, finally, for the first time, for lying to Congress or a court or the FBI 
under oath, it's never happened. And uh, at least not for uh, someone who is uh, doing basically the government's bidding and who is in the favor of the government. So uh, that would be a good precedent, but don't hold your breath. No, I'm I, no, I'm not. And I mean, ironically, they were speaking at the uh, when the president was speaking. Uh, you know, James Clapper, I believe, is still over there at the uh, Department of Homeland Security. He blatantly lied to Congress uh, about you know what information is tracked and what isn't of uh, from Americans. Yeah, and, you remember that yeah. uh, uh, Clapper was asked by Senator uh, Wyden. Uh, are you collecting, as head of uh, Director of National Intelligence, are you collecting any kind of information at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? And Clapper said, no. Now, later, when Edward Snowden revealed to us, thank goodness, that in fact they were collecting information on hundreds of millions of Americans, in short, that Clapper had lied Clapper to Congress, mm-hmm. Clapper said, well, that was the most, I'm sorry, get it right, that was the least untruthful statement I could make. Yes. Now, nobody challenged that. Some people laughed a little. But they didn't sort of say, Mr. Clapper, General Clapper, what would have been a more untruthful statement? <laughs> it couldn't be more untruthful. That was the most untruthful statement he could make. Yeah. Uh, yes would have been the least untruthful. That would have been the truthful answer. Or, I can't discuss this in open session. He could have said that, but that would have suggested the truth. So the least communicative answer he could give was the one he did give. Was there any chance that he would be held accountable in the slightest way for lying to Congress and uh, Senator Feinstein and the Intelligence Committee? No chance. It has never happened. And I'm saying it's time that it does happen, actually. There is an additional, I'm speaking with uh, Dan Ellsberg, legendary whistleblower. Uh, there's an additional sort of, I don't know if we should call it irony here or not, but in the case of uh, uh, General David Petraeus, uh, the leaks, as I understand it, that he gave to his mistress slash biographer were far more sensitive uh, than a lot of the information that you know whistleblowers have now been uh, sent, to, sent to jail for. Uh the fact that he seems to get off with a, a slap on the wrist for something that's far more sensitive and was meant seemingly, you know, to for self-aggrandizement, to show his uh, mistress or his biography well, how reason, great he that's was. That's the reason for most leaks. Uh, one out of a hundred leaks is a really a whistleblower, somebody who's really trying to expose wrongdoing at their own risk, really, of administrative punishment, of losing their clearance and their career, possibly their marriage. That's a very rare thing. And on a really large scale, uh, I was the first, uh, in a way, to Mm -hmm. do that with 7,000 pages of top secret. Chelsea Manning, 40 years later, uh, put out a great deal of material. So did Ed Snowden. That's, That's pretty rare. But leaks occur every hour of the day, with someone supporting their agency's budget or their poll or their uh, policy or serving themselves. Now, I do. I will say this: the prosecutors made a point, and the judge accepted in accepting this plea bargain with just two years of probation and no jail time. That he hadn't, after all, intended to inform the public uh, or uh, or a journalist. He hadn't given to a journalist, just to his biographer, just to his lover, who actually, by the way, did have a clearance. She didn't, it so happened, because she's in the reserves, 
she wasn't cleared for the code word, highly sensitive material that he was giving her, which means it was as if she didn't have a clearance. But people say, well, okay, uh, she didn't publish that. But we actually don't know with it. I don't think she sold it to the Chinese or ISIL or anything like that. But who, did she copy it? Where did she keep the copies? Did she share it with anyone? Petraeus doesn't know the answer to that, and I'm not even sure the FBI has investigated it at all. Well, that's so when you when you say on, it, it is definitely a breach of the regulation. Well, yeah, and when you say he, you know, he wasn't sharing with a journalist, he was sharing it with his biographer, who was going to write a book about him. So that information yeah. certainly could have gone out that way, but. Uh, yeah, the fact that these folks, these whistleblowers who are actually trying to do uh, something good, that they seem to get punished more than those people like Petraeus and well, the other government officials. Uh, they're leakers. precisely the ones yeah. who are threatened and, and now under Obama actually prosecuted. And that's not just a, uh, that's not a coincidence or it isn't even what you could call malice. Mm -hmm. The point is... What the whistleblower does is to give an investigative journalist or Congress information that the public needs to know because to hold their government officials accountable. Now, no government official in any country in the world, and really no official in any private organization, corporation, or um, school board, or whatever, wants to be held accountable. Accountability is not for their interest, it's for the public interest, or the long-term interest of the institution. But no one really wants to have their deceptions, their lies, their mistakes, their wrong predictions, their possible crimes. They don't have any interest in having that disclosed. And if you're the president with the Justice Department under you and you have the chance to prosecute somebody who puts out something embarrassing like that, those are the people you prosecute, not the ones who have put out information to make you look good. So the argument you seem to be making here is that the, these punishments are, are meted out based not so much on, on uh, you know, the damage that is done by the leaks, but uh, just to send a message to other potential whistleblowers, don't do it. So if a guy like Petraeus, we think, oh, he's a good guy, he didn't mean to hurt anybody. These other people, though, we don't know what they might do. We don't know what other whistleblowers might expose. Therefore, we have to expose, or I'm, I'm sorry, we have to prosecute those who, who, who expose information as whistleblowers to send a message to others to not do it. D Dan, isn't there a Wait, point to that? All the people, all the people. Go ahead. Let, you know, let me just ask this point. Doesn't the Department of Justice, uh, to, to some extent, have a point in that, okay, guys like Edward Snowden, they seem to have been very careful about what they released and who they released it to, uh, to, to Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras, etc. They, they they've so far been very responsible with that information. But what about the next person uh, who thinks they're exposing something that needs to be exposed? Would they? How do we know they will be as careful and judicious as uh, as, as Ed Snowden? Espionage Act that they've been using to prosecute these people does not allow the person charged to argue in front of a jury or to present testimony or evidence that they had a good motive or uh, that they believed that this would benefit the public, and that's why they were taking the risks, which you can't avoid in putting out information that your boss doesn't want, uh, that there was a reason for doing it and that the public needed to know this. 
that's not something a person accused under the Espionage Act can argue in front of the jury. I couldn't, and none of the people indicted were able to make that argument in front of a jury. Mm. Now, the jury doesn't have to believe that. They don't have to agree with you, even if they think you're telling the truth and uh, that you had a good motive. They don't have to decide that it was a good enough motive in order to break your promise not to give secrets, which is what involved here, Mm -hmm. uh, not to give away secrets. They can still convict, but they'll do it on the basis of having heard your argument. That is not available under the Espionage Act, and that means that a person who's giving information for patriotic motives to benefit the country, as, let me say, I did, and I'm convinced that Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden did, but also mm-hmm. several of the people who were indicted here, uh, here not all of them, uh, not Petraeus particularly. He couldn't really argue that he was doing this for the good of the country. Uh, but um, but the others, some of the others could, and some could not. A jury would not have to agree with any of them, including me. But when I was asked by my lawyer, why did you copy the Pentagon Papers, which for your hearers was 7,000 pages of top-secret documents, why did you do that? I wasn't allowed to tell the jury. Mm. That means I didn't have a fair trial, uh, and none of these other people have either. And moreover, it means the purpose of all this is to discourage anyone from giving embarrassing information to a journalist. Just the information the public may need in order, as I say, to hold them accountable. Now, people give unembarrassing information that, that makes the uh, the officials look good, like Petraeus to his mistress, or various presidents uh, who put out classified information that makes their administration look good. That will not be prosecuted. And so the mess. And they, in other words, the administration doesn't want to discourage people from talking to journalists, so long as what you tell is in line and supports government administration policy. Mm. They don't want to break off those contacts. But what they do want to do is to break off all unauthorized contacts uh, that might involve giving information that does not put the government in a good light. Now, if you can cut that all off, then you've succeeded in the ambitions of virtually all officials of all kinds with the unfortunate effect that you have lost democracy. You have lost accountability. You have lost an informed public that can influence policy or make informed choices of who to vote for. And that's, to a large degree, where we are, and I hate to say that. Our democracy has has eroded very, very heavily since 9-11 more than people realize, and maybe not more than they were willing to see, but it hasn't been an informed choice on their part. When they think, I'm willing to give up a little democracy here to have more security, they don't know how much they're giving up, and they don't know how little more security they're getting. So I think we need whistleblowers uh, more uh, just to inform us Mm -hmm. that we have to resist this government effort to cut off unauthorized contacts between journalists and potential whistleblowers, and that's what Obama has been trying to do. Uh, I'm speaking with Dan Ellsberg, who is at the National Press Club right now in Washington, D.C. You're listening to the broadcast. Uh, Dan, in just the uh, couple of minutes we have here left, uh, how do you think your case uh, would have moved forward differently had it happened today? Do you think you would be facing what Chelsea Manning <laughs> that's, that's is now facing? That's a good facing? question. I'm, I'm surprised they don't get answer, uh, asked that more often. I can give you a quick answer. Yeah. I have no doubt at all 
that if I had put out thousands of pages of top-secret documents revealing lies by our government, breaking of treaties, uh, total deception of the country, getting us in to an unnecessary and wrongful and hopeless war, as in the case of Vietnam, but is equally true of Iraq in our recent past and of some wars we are sliding into right now. If I had put that out now, I have no doubt at all that uh, Holder, the Attorney General, and that President Obama would have confronted me with as many charges as I faced, 12 felony counts, a possible 115 years. And now I would have to say, under this mood, move the presidents here and the 9-11 president that has uh, understandably frightened everyone so much, I would almost surely be convicted. And I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be in prison. Uh, Dan, you've you've long called for whistleblowers to step forward. Now uh, it seems like we're in an era where more uh, have done so. It, but the punishments keep getting harsher, and the results of those leaks sometimes seem to be more minimal. It, almost no action is is sometimes taken. You know, in the in the light of Edward Snowden leaks and so forth. So, is it still worth it, as you see it, Dan? For national security whistleblowers to come forward, or is the penalties, you know, 30 years for Chelsea Manning, two years for John Kirikow and so forth, for helping to expose illegal U.S. torture programs in his case, uh, is the penalty now no longer worth the price of stepping forward unless you're David Petraeus? Yes, it can be worth stepping forward even if it costs your life, either physically or life in prison because the stakes can be so high that it doesn't take much probability greater than zero in order to have a chance of changing it. The truth is, telling the truth in a country, big country like ours, an imperial country, basically, about what we're doing abroad that's been lied about, never has much chance of changing things. All one can say is the chance is not zero, and that the stakes are extremely high, and it's worth your life to try to avert these terrible wars, these useless wars, or violations of the Constitution that diminish our, our democracy, like the mass surveillance, warrantless surveillance, in which case the government has not been able to come up with a single terrorist attack that was prevented by that or any use that was done at all, despite their claiming how necessary it is. Um, the director of national intelligence said uh, 58, uh, 58 uh, terrorist attacks were prevented by the mass warrantless surveillance that Edward Snowden revealed. And when Senator Wyden pressed him on the intelligence committee, well, let's have the specifics of some of them. Uh, what exactly, uh, what can you tell us? Well, it's all very secret. We can't tell you. No, just tell us, tell us uh, one or two, three, four. They came up with one case, not 58, which consisted of an $8,000 uh, donation by a taxi driver somewhere in the Midwest to a group in the Mideast that might be associated with terrorism. That was it. Not a terrorist attack yep. uh, that, uh, that was found by mass warrantless surveillance. That's it. Yep. And for that, we're giving the government blackmail capability against every person in the country who may have communicated something on uh, their uh, credit cards, their uh, chat mail, their chat log, their email, their pay, their uh, uh, faxes, whatever. Mm -hmm 
all of which the NSA has, something that that person doesn't want revealed, whether it's criminal or not, and that's a capability for blackmail that the East Germans secret police, the Stasi, could only dream of having. It simply didn't exist before. I don't want us to have be a democratic country like the German Democratic Republic, the East German Republic. And our NSA now has a capability for a police state that has not yet been put into practice in terms of putting people into camps and blackmailing, determined, uh, detaining them, assassinating them the way it was done in East Germany. But that could happen from one day to the next. It could happen. They have the data. They have the data. Uh, and they could turn us into a police state fast. Yep. That's a terrible situation, and one that Ed Snowden wanted to change, and I, he, in, in my eyes, he's a hero for taking the risks that he did to do that. Uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, the fact that so many uh, Democrats are out there now feeling like, well, at least it's a Democrat in the White House. He'll, he'll be okay. We can trust him with all of this material. Newsflash for Democrats, there will not be a Democrat in the White House forever. Uh, now is the time to do something about it. Uh, Dan Ellsberg, uh, you say Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning are heroes. I say you're a hero, and I want to thank you for your years of unapologetic unceasing service to this country going all the way back to the Pentagon Papers which is now 45 years ago if my uh, if my math is correct you have been unflinching in your support uh, of whistleblowers throughout all of those years so I want to thank you for doing what you see as the right thing for this country and for those whistleblowers who have stepped out uh, following frankly in your footprints Dan uh, thank you thanks thank for you that very much Brad for that uh, I have to tell you that in those 44 years or so uh, not too many people on the media have uh, have taken the opportunity to uh, ally themselves with me in effect on this, so I, I appreciate it. And let me return the compliment in one way. I've been talking about the erosion and the dangers to our democracy. You, Brad, for years now, I've been following you uh, and the work you've done on the effect of election rigging, uh, the election machine question, and the question of... Uh, uh, defrauding, really, us on, on uh, the whole election process. That's another threat to our democracy. And by the way, we could use a lot of whistleblowing on that, not only within the government, but from places like these election machine corporations mm -hmm. uh, that do it. I would like to hear some people telling the truth from in there and confirming that what Brad Friedman has been saying about the dangers to our process are absolutely right. So thank you for doing what you've been doing. Uh, bless you, Dan. And yeah, we're working on it. Uh, Dan Ellsberg. Follow him at Daniel Ellsberg on Twitter and, of course, at Ellsberg.net. Thank you, my friend, for those kind words and for taking more time with us today, Dan. Same here. Bye, Brad. Okay, Dan Ellsberg. Gotta love him. Going to take a quick break here and come back with more Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Welcome back. It's your Brad Cast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com, finishing up the first day of our daily Bradcast. It may not be the daily show, but it is a daily show. So there's that. 
Uh, we got just a few minutes left here. We're uh, running late with the uh, Dan Ellsberg interview. If you missed any portion of today's program, by the way, you'll be able to get it later on tonight at bradblog.com, at Stitcher, at TuneIn, at iTunes, where we hope you'll give us a good review over there so it helps other people find the Bradcast as well. Uh, very quickly, uh, Loretta Lynch was finally sworn in today as the new U.S. Attorney General. She uh, replaces Eric Holder. Becomes the first African-American woman uh, to become U.S. Attorney General. For some bizarre reason, Republicans uh, held her off for about 170 days. And for some bizarre reason, they hated Eric Holder. Or at least they pretended to. Why would they hate him? I can't tell you. He let all of their bankers pretty much off the hook entirely. He uh, even let him get away with all sorts of voter suppression, frankly, not bothering to actually enforce the Voting Rights Act provisions until after the Supreme Court killed the most important part of that uh, Voting Rights Act in the summer of 2013. So you'd, you'd think they would like him. I think they do. I think they were just uh, kind of pretending when they acted like they didn't like him. Also, George W. Bush According to Bloomberg's Josh Rogan, <laughs> this is amazing, attacked President Obama in a closed-door meeting with a Republican Jewish organization run by Sheldon Adelson in Las Vegas over the weekend. Call, did you hear about this story, Des? Called Obama <laughs> naive. Calls Obama. This is George W. Bush calling Obama naive in his dealings with Iran and in his war against ISIS. He's criticizing yeah. Obama's That's right. foreign policy. That's right. Oh, uh, he, the mind he, reels. Yes, he says the uh, Iran deal he describes as short-sighted, says the guy who during his own administration saw Iran's nuclear capabilities uh, and the number of centrifuges go from something like 600 up to like 19,000 yep. while he was in office. Uh, and Bush warned against chaos against chaos in the Middle East. He would know. Thanks to Obama's policies. <sighs> really, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, uh, one more uh, point I wanted to get, Des. Uh, last week on the show, we talked about this crazy right-wing group, the Heartland Institute. It was on Earth Day, and the statements that they put out about Earth Day. Now, the Heartland Institute, it's funded by... Uh, I think the Koch brothers, by the fossil, fossil fuel, fuel industry. industry. Yes. Yeah, exactly. They're huge. They lead the climate change denialist movement in this country. And on Earth Day, when they could have just put out something, you know, oh, we, we love uh, the Earth. We must take care of it. We must be great stewards. They said that for about uh, 10 seconds, and then they went into, however, <laughs> environmentalists have completely hijacked the Earth, and uh, all of our problems on the Earth were solved as of 1980, and global warming doesn't exist. In any case, now they're sending out a contingency to uh, a contingent to the Pope to speak to him. Heartland's experts will send this message to Pope Francis, according to a uh, press release Heartland put out. Please do not put the enormous weight of your moral authority behind the discredited and scandal-prone United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Instead, they say, speak out for the poor and disadvantaged of the world who need affordable and reliable energy to escape grinding poverty. Quote, the Holy Father is being misled by experts at the United Nations who have proven unworthy of his trust, said Heartland President Joseph Bast. <laughs> oh. 
Humans are not causing a climate crisis on God's green earth, he said. In fact, they are fulfilling their biblical duty to protect and use it for the benefit of humanity. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, though Pope Francis's heart is surely in the right place, he would do his flock and the world a disservice by putting his moral authority behind the United Nations' unscientific agenda on the climate. Uh, and they go on to say the science is not settled. Global warming is not a crisis. The world's poor will suffer horribly if reliable energy, the engine of prosperity and a better life, is made more expensive and less reliable by the decree of global planners. Desi, you are my co-host and the managing uh, a co-host of the Green News Report and the managing editor thereof. What do you say to the Heartland Institute? Well, two things. First of all, it's all bunk. But the Heartland Institute, uh, you know, when they talk about this energy poverty, that somehow the poor will be hurt by not being forced to burn fossil fuels for energy, 7 million people die every year from just air pollution alone, not including all the other pollution and destruction that happens when fossil fuels are used. So that's one. And two, renewable energy is clean, it's affordable, and it's actually going to be the thing that helps the third world, the, the the poorer countries, to bypass the whole pollution phase of development. So obviously Heartland Institute is running scared. They want to prevent the Pope from pushing for climate action, especially because he's coming to the United Nations in September to talk to the United Nations and help complete an international climate treaty. So they're doing everything they can at the Heartland Institute to stop that. And they're not going to be successful, are they? Oh, heavens the no! Pope, the Pope will be paying no mind to the Heartland Institute. That's right. He plans a big encyclical. That's, you know, a big papal paper that he puts out where he talks about this is what we're going to do. It has the moral force of the church behind it. It directs the bishops. It directs Catholics on what they should do. And they're going to host a climate summit this week in Rome. And that's why Heartland is going there. They're trying to talk the Pope out of doing what he said he's going to be doing all along. Yeah, that's going to work. Did, did you say a big papal paper? Yeah, I was trying to think of how do you say encyclical? Okay. It's no, a that's good. it's a big paper that he yeah. puts out. The that... big the big papal paper. Uh-huh. Uh huh. all right. Uh, tomorrow, by the way, I think we got the gyrocopter guy, if I'm not mistaken. Awesome. I think he'll be joining us, the guy who landed uh, at the Capitol on uh, in his gyrocopter to protest the Citizens United decision. Looking forward to speaking to him. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer today, to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess, to engineering magician Tony Sorrentino, to my friend Greg. Gregory Hayner of Scorpio Sound, Cassandra Fairbanks of Sputnik News, and of course, my guest whistleblower and legend, Dan Ellsberg. Uh, okay, is that it? Have we survived the first daily broadcast? Yes, we have survived it. All right, excellent. We will be back same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Hope you will tune in. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and of course at Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.